So as we've been going through these parables, the next one we're going to deal with is in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. It says this. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all of those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, to the other, afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So first what I want to do is I want to kind of explain what's going on here in these situations. This ten virgins, or some translations call it the ten bridesmaids, are waiting for the wedding feast. Now for us today to hear this, we think, well, wait, the groom was late to the wedding? Like this just seems kind of bizarre, right? So the answer is yes and no. He was late but he wasn't late. So in biblical culture, there were actually three phases to a wedding. The first was the promise of marriage. It was usually a contract made between the two sets of parents, similar to an engagement of today, but actually more official. Now the second phase was actually, it's called the betrothal. This is an official exchange of vows between the couple that could only be broken actually by divorce. At this point, the marriage, though, was not fully consummated. The, the couple did not live together at this point. This is actually the phase of, that Mary and Joseph were in when the angel appeared to Mary and said that you are pregnant with Jesus. So the third phase, this phase three, that's the focus of this parable, the wedding feast which could be up to a year later. So you see how this is kind of going. It's phase one, phase two, and now phase three. It could be up to a year later. At this point, it was actually a multi-day celebration, and at the end, the couple would live together. So today, obviously, we have engagement, and then you have your, your marriage, like the actual vows and everything, and the celebration all on the same day. So what's happening here is there's this big gap and the big gap is in a waiting of this wedding feast where then the couple would actually come together and live together after this multi-day feast. So now in the parable, the bridesmaids are actually waiting for the bridegroom. And his arrival would signify the beginning of the wedding feast celebration. It normally would actually happen in the evening. The bridesmaids would escort him through the city streets with their lamps fueled with oil. So they were like, the bridegroom's here, the bridegroom's here, the bridegroom's here. Very different than uh, today's weddings, right? Because the groom, it's kind of like, he's just kind of standing there, right? And everything's about the bride. Well, it's a little different back in that culture, okay? So the bridegroom is here. He's coming down the streets. So in this parable, the first thing that happened is there's five foolish bridesmaids and five wise. The wise had extra oil for their lamps, and the foolish did not. So the bridegroom was delayed. We're not sure exactly why, but it must have been something unavoidable. It wasn't indifference like, oh, do I want to get married? Because he 
pretty much already was. Okay, he was just showing up to the party at this point. So we're not sure why he was delayed. But in the meantime, his delay, the bridesmaids all fell asleep because it was nighttime. So they were woken up to an excited cry. The bridegroom is here. The bridegroom is here. So the ones with the oil got up and they were able to do their job. But the ones without the oil got up and they were not able to do their job because it was at night. So they were supposed to hold these lamps with the oil. So the bridesmaids that were wise, that had the oil, it kind of almost sounds like a little stingy, right? When they ask like, oh, can we have some oil? And they're like, no, there's not enough for both of us, okay? So we're keeping our oil because we're supposed to be doing our job. So they said, go out and get your own oil. So now the foolish ones had to run to get more oil. Sadly, they did not return in time. They were already in the wedding feast. The door was closed. And in the parable, it says they were unknown to the bridegroom, probably because he never saw them because they didn't have any oil to help him out and bring him through the streets. So what is this parable teaching? Obviously, we have this story, this cultural, you know, for their culture and what was going on. But what does it actually spiritually mean? So first, what I want to do is I want to deal with the main point of the parable. Then we're going to look at some sub points that are actually helpful for practical application for our lives every day. So the main point of the parable is found in verse 13. It says, watch therefore for you know neither the day nor the hour. So the parable is actually at the beginning of chapter 25, which obviously follows Matthew chapter 24. So now we have to look context, right? Why is this here? Why is this placed here? If you look back in your Bible, you'll see that chapter 24, Jesus is actually teaching about his second coming. Okay, so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I'm coming back. Here's going to be what happens. So now this parable is placed here, and basically the, the idea here is the main point is the coming of the bridegroom represents Jesus's second coming, and Jesus tells us we do not know the day or the hour, so we must be ready like the five wise bridesmaids. So the question is, how do we prepare for Jesus? How do we prepare for Jesus's second coming? Or in other words, what does being ready actually look like? Well, the first thing is the way a person actually spiritually prepares themselves for Jesus coming back is trusting in the gospel. Now, when Jesus came the first time he came, he lived his life, a humble life. The last three years of his life, he proclaimed the kingdom, he served others, and then he eventually went to the cross. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was dying to pay the price for our sins. He was laying down his life for you and I and for the entire world. And the scripture tells us that he died. The scripture tells us that he rose from the grave. And the scripture also tells us all who believe will have eternal life. So the first way that we become ready for Jesus' second coming is actually trusting him. Now, notice the five foolish bridesmaids. What didn't they have? They didn't have the oil, right? Well, what does the oil actually do for the lamp? Anyone? Gives it light. 
So the truth is this, they had no light. The foolish bridesmaids had no light. Now, Matthew 5, 14 through 16, it says, Jesus says to the believers, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp or put it under a basket, but they, stand, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So for us as believers, not only does believing in Jesus give us eternal life and entrance into the great wedding feast, which is eternity with Jesus, now our salvation actually comes with some responsibility. We are to be lights with the gospel message. You've heard me say this probably hundreds of times. That's part of our job as a community here at the church, to be a light out to the community. We have a responsibility. Well, the thing is, what does that look like? What does that look like for us here? Now, there's, I think there's some sub-points and some applications that we can kind of draw out of this parable that help us to understand what being that light looks like. What being that light looks like. And the first is this, based upon this parable, is salvation is not transferable. Okay, well, what does that mean? Salvation is not transferable. I thought we we're supposed to tell other people so they receive it. That is true. We are. But the five wise, they couldn't give their oil because they wouldn't have it for themselves. Okay, they had a job to do. They wouldn't have that oil for themselves. This is not a perfect illustration, but think about it this way. We cannot give others our salvation. They can't be saved through us. Okay, Jesus is the only one that can save them. So to kind of like put a little more practical application to this, just because you're a believer and you raise your kids up in a household of faith does not mean that they're believers too, okay? Just if you're a parent here, just because you're a believer and you raise your kids in a Christian home does not mean they are believers too. They have to come to their own understanding and place their trust in Jesus. Each person will stand before the Lord. So don't ever fall into the trap of thinking, well, my family and I spend a lot of time doing Christian things, and, and we go to church, and I bring them to Sunday school, and you know they take care of all that. And um, don't ever fall into that trap. Have the real conversations with your family members, with your children, with your friends. What do you really believe about Jesus? You know, one of the things when I was a youth pastor and, you know, doing children's ministry and youth ministry all those years, you would be very, very shocked in some senses to hear answers that kids give when you say, how do you get to heaven? And a kid might say, be really good. And I'm like, this kid was brought up in this church. This kid was brought up by Christian parents. How did they miss that? And it's not necessarily something they missed as much as maybe it wasn't something that their parents or their grandparents or whoever is, you know, talking with them really ever specifically explained. Each person needs to trust on their own. They might not even know that they don't trust Jesus. They might just think, you know what, I grew up in a Christian home. I must be a Christian. Maybe that's you. Maybe you have generations of Christians in your family, but you've not placed your trust in Christ. 
Maybe you've been coming to church and you've been hearing about it, but you haven't truly trusted him. That's something that you have to think about. Like, do I truly trust Jesus? Or is this just kind of like part of the life, the boxes that I check off? You see, as lights in this world, we can't transfer our salvation to others, but we can tell them about who Jesus is and how he's transformed us and how he can do the same for them when they trust in him. Now, the second subpoint in application is opportunities cannot be regained. Now, this is true on two points. And the first is, is what this parable deals with. When the door is closed to that wedding feast, it was too late for those bridesmaids, right? It was too late for them to come in, which really represents when this life is over, it is too late to trust in Jesus if you have not already. We can't regain that opportunity. It's too late once we pass from this earth. The time to trust in Jesus and receive a salvation is when you are here on earth. Now, secondly, when we miss out on opportunities in life to do things for the Lord, we can't rewind the time and do those things again, right? For example, right now, you may be missing opportunities to serve Jesus in a ministry. You might be missing opportunities to help someone in their time of need. You might be missing opportunities to dig deeper in God's word. Do you realize this? We all have the same amount of time, okay? You, we all have 24 hours in the day. How we use that time could be using an opportunity or it could be missing an opportunity. I'm not saying you won't have different opportunities in the future, but think about it this way. Today is an opportunity, isn't it? What are you doing for the Lord? How are you serving him? How are you digging in? You know, a lot of times, I mean, our culture right now, and, you know, I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else, our culture right now sucks us in. You can go on your device, you can go on your TV, you can binge watch, you can do all these different things that actually just suck the time, right? And you're just like, where'd that day go? What did I do with that day? Oh, I just watched this thing all day. That could be a problem. So why did the five foolish bridesmaids miss out? Why did they miss their opportunity? Well, there's two reasons. <clears throat> the first is they failed to prepare. They weren't prepared. The second is they, they fell asleep. So let's look at this in regards to our Christian life, in regards, not in regards to salvation. So as far as spiritual preparation in our, in our Christian life. So in your life as a believer, where are you failing to prepare yourself spiritually? So the bridesmaids were not prepared, right? That's the first reason they missed out. They weren't prepared. So in your Christian life, where are you not prepared spiritually? So I can tell you two places I think that get overlooked a lot of times as believers as far as spiritual preparation. And the first is the issue of apologetics. And some of you are like, Apollo what? Okay, apologetics is actually defending your faith. Or in other words, knowing what you believe so that you are prepared to talk to other people when they ask. Have you ever skirted like spiritual conversations because you're afraid that somebody might ask you a question that you don't know the answer to? You're like, I'm a Christian. You know, and they're like, oh, well, I have a real question for you. Got to get back to work. I'm out of here. You know what I mean? You just, you're afraid to engage in the conversations because you're not spiritually prepared with 
answers. Okay, You're, you don't you don't study to know to tell people about the depths of what you know or the depths of the scriptures. So part of knowing what you believe is spending time in God's word. Spending time in God's word. You know, you'll have situations in life. Maybe some of you like take that, like the, the little daily bread devotional, and you'll read that in the morning maybe with your coffee, and then you head to work. And people come up to me and say this, you know, Pastor Mike, I was reading the devotional this morning, the, the daily bread, and there was a passage, and I was like, oh, good. And then all of a sudden I went to work, and somebody asked me something, and the answer was in the scripture that I read in the morning. That's amazing, isn't it? I'm like, it is pretty amazing, okay? And God gave you that because he knew that opportunity was coming your way. So spending time daily in God's word. Secondly, another part is systematically studying. So I want to let you know of a few ways you can do that. And one is going to our church website. There's a resource link. Okay, and I'm not just trying to drive traffic to the church website, but some, I guess probably a couple of years ago, I spent a ton of time linking up all different resources that you can use on your own. Different websites, different resources, different podcasts, different things you can listen to that you can actually self-study systematically to learn about what the scriptures actually teach. So that's a good way because you know what? Getting yourself in the habit of doing those things is so important. There's one link on there, it's called Got Questions. Some of you might have been on there, it's Got Questions. And basically, they literally spell out the answer to pretty much almost every common question that you could imagine. And they're in like little bite-sized paragraphs. So you can say, okay, like somebody might say, well, why does God allow suffering? You're like, ah, oh, I gotta answer that, okay? Well, the thing is, on that website, you can look and it will give you some helpful scriptures to help you interact with somebody who's asking a question like that. So that's a real helpful way. One of the things that we did a while ago, if you remember, I did a sermon series called We Believe. And uh, that's all. If, if you go on our website, it's under Binge Watch. We have all our old sermons. And uh, it basically what our church believes. I preached through pretty much the articles of faith at our church. Okay, so those are ways that you can actually spend time on your own studying. This is all going to be helpful in preparing you spiritually in regards to knowing what you believe. You know what? When you know what you believe, spiritual conversations with others just flow. Okay, they just flow. And when somebody comes up to you and has a question, you don't look and say, uh-oh, I hope they don't ask that. You're like, yeah, shoot. You know what I mean? And, and, and another issue when it comes to apologetics is it's okay to say, I don't know, right? I don't know. Or that's a good question. Let me find out the answer to you, for you. You know, as Christians, we need to know what we believe, but we need to have the humility to say, hey, you know what? I got to do a little more study there. I mean, people ask me all the time, like obscure things in the Old Testament. They're like, hey, this guy in the Old Testament, what do you think of this? And who was his wife? I'm like, huh? I'm like, what do you think? I'm an encyclopedia. I can't remember everything, right? But knowing the basic doctrines of the scriptures is actually not as hard as you would think. The second is preparing yourself spiritually for times of crisis. You know, we're all going to experience crisis in life. 
Things will happen, tragedy will strike, and crisis, crises will take place. And, and you've heard me say this a million times, probably two million times. When crisis comes, people do two things, right? They could either, what, run to God or run away from God, okay? The goal is running to God. When crisis strikes, we run to God. You know, as most of you know, my family had a crisis this past year, and one of the things that God reminded me of when the crisis hit, it was like, we get a diagnosis, crisis hits, and it was like God is basically just tapping me on the shoulder, and he goes, you know the right way to respond. In fact, you've been teaching other people for the last 25 years the right way to respond. Guess what, Mike? It's your turn, okay? Did I want the turn? Was I lining up for the turn? Was my family lining up for the turn? Was my son lining up for the turn? Nope. None of us were lining up for it. None of us wanted it. But guess what? One of the main reasons why we ran towards God is because the foundation that we set as a family. So we ran towards God. We set the foundation beforehand. The groundwork was done, okay? Now it was just us walking in it. So the bridesmaids failed to prepare. They had no oil, no oil. They missed out. The second reason they missed out was pretty obvious. They fell asleep. While waiting, instead of preparing and saying, oh, you know what? If the, bride, if the bridegroom comes during the night, I'm not going to have enough oil. I better go get the oil. They were like, you know what? I'm just going to fall asleep like everybody else. And that's what they did. You know those days. You're so tired that you, know, you sit down to watch TV and you're just like, you just fall asleep. A couple of hours goes by, and somebody in your house wakes you up. Or guys, you might know this. Maybe, maybe I'm the only guy that does this, but your wife says, hey, let's watch a movie. And you're like, okay. And you have every intention of watching that movie, right? Ten minutes in, you're like, you're, you're out. And then you know, your wife's like, how'd you like the movie? I'm like, yeah. Missed out, right? We just missed the whole thing. Sometimes that's what we do spiritually. We actually fall asleep. We have every intention to practice spiritual disciplines like prayer, service, study, and telling others about Jesus. But we're not physically asleep. We're actually spiritually asleep. We're spiritually asleep. Days, weeks, months, and even years go by, and then we realize we wasted much of our life. We wasted it. We wasted the time. We wasted the time of service, the time of prayer, the time of getting into God's word, the time of meeting the needs of other people, the time that we could be serving the Lord. We wasted it. We're spiritually asleep. And you might be doing a lot of stuff, but spiritually you're not doing really anything. You're doing everything maybe to please your own needs and live your life the way that you desire to live it. Now, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 13, 11, he says, Be, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than it was when we first believed. Now, what's that curious little saying mean? Salvation is nearer to us now than when you first believed. Well, for the believer, every day we live is another day closer to our promised eternal life. Do you realize that? Every day that you live, we're another day closer to being in eternity with Jesus. So Paul is saying, wake up. There's work to be done. 
Don't miss out. There's work to be done. Which brings us to the third and final sub-point in application, and that is Jesus is coming without warning. That's what this parable is teaching. He's coming without warning. He's coming without warning. Like the bridegroom came in the middle of the night without warning, so will Jesus. No one knows when Jesus is going to come back. And the truth is, not only do we want to be ready, but we also want those that we love to be ready. We also want the people around us to be ready. You know, we walk through life. You go to school, work, friends, family. And, you know, there's people that don't know who Jesus is. Don't you want them to be ready? God placed you to be a light in the small circle that you have. Maybe, there's, maybe he's calling you to actually tell them about him. Maybe there's someone in your life that God is prompting you to talk with about the Lord. You may be tempted to put it off till tomorrow, but you know what? Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Jesus is asking you to shine the light that he gave you, and what better time to do that than today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful that you've given us your light so that we could shine it before other people. I pray, Lord, that we would live each day as if it's the day that you're coming back, that we would spiritually be prepared, first and foremost, that anyone here that hasn't trusted you would trust you. But for those who have trusted you, I pray that we would wake up and prepare and do the things that you desire us to do so we're ready to be the light for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.